The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Lee, Senator from Utah, uh, who is probably one of our leading constitutional scholars uh, in the Senate and alive today. And we're appreciative of him coming on. We have a ton of to talk to him about, including his uh, his book written out of history, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. And it it first came out in paperback and now it's out in hardcover, which shows me really that people in uh, the Senate just don't know anything about business because it's supposed to go the other way. Um, welcome to the program, Mike. I'm, I'm assuming that they're doing this and putting this out in hardcover because yours is one of those books that you want to keep for a long time it's not kind of a throwaway book is that why why are... no that's actually a great narrative but you've got the, the facts backwards it came out in paperback this week came out in hardcover about a year ago oh okay all right <laughs> then our information was wrong like, oh that doesn't make yeah. sense hey bill i mean um, uh, mike i want to talk to you uh, uh, about a couple of things let me start um i want to talk about the news of the day but let me just start with one character that is in your book that um, that I think really kind of describes how important history has been completely erased. And it's the the individual that you talk about in your book, Mum Bet. Can you explain who Mum Bet is? Yes, gladly. Mum Bet was a slave in colonial Massachusetts in the home of a man named Colonel John Ashley. Mum Bet realized one day after the revolution and after the Massachusetts State Constitution of 1780 had kicked in, that it contained language saying that all human beings are free and equal in the state of Massachusetts. And it also occurred to her that language had originally been drafted in her master's own house. <laughs> she went and found a lawyer, a lawyer who had been there present uh, and, and a participant in the drafting of that language. His name was Theodore Sedgwick, and she retained him. They brought suit in Massachusetts State Court seeking a writ of replevin, which is a common law action whereby you can order the return of unlawfully possessed personal property. And she won her freedom, thereby opening the door for every slave in America to eventually become free. It would take decades, to be sure, for everyone else to become free. But Mumbet won her freedom just by asserting her rights existing under Massachusetts state law after the revolution. I think that's extraordinary, and, and I think it, it's odd that we don't know anything about her. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that I, I believe it was Massachusetts that actually was the state that declared the first slave because a black man in the 1600s had an indentured uh, servant, and uh, he, may, he went to court and made the case, no, he's mine for life. He can't leave after this. He's mine for life, and won. And it's interesting to me. I think that, do you know, Mike, I think that happened in Massachusetts. Yeah, you know, that sounds right. I, I am not certain of it, but that sounds right to me. And that, that makes this ironic. But nonetheless, this story is interesting. It's significant. It's important. And yet most people in the United States have never heard of Mumbet. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, freedoms and freedom of, of speech. Uh, and if you don't mind, we'll just kind of go back and forth on some of the stories and some of the stories of the day as well. Uh, you know, I wrote to you earlier this week, um, Mike, and and I don't know if you understood my uh, frustration or if you share it, um, but I understand from a corporate fiduciary responsibility the hirings and firings of people like Roseanne Barr. 
Um, and it is it's understandable under fiduciary responsibility or even just being responsible and saying, I don't want that kind of stuff on my network. I don't want to be associated with that kind of person. However, we've seemed to have crossed a line to where there's a story out today that if you are if you are on Twitter or Facebook, you are now a public person with a public persona and you can be fired for what you say on Facebook or Twitter. That that is not unconstitutional, but it feels wrong. Right. There are a lot of things that are unconstitutional that might none that, that are not unconstitutional that might nonetheless be wrong. For example, if an employer in the circumstance you describe just starts just sort of either indiscriminately firing people uh, without warning for something people say, or perhaps even worse, starts um, weeding out employees and saying, uh, I, I don't want to have people under my employ who embrace a particular political ideology. And that would be that Google. Would disturbing. Yes. And, and it wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't uh, rise to the level of something that is unconstitutional, certainly, probably not something that's even unlawful. But it's still creepy, and um, we would be right to be concerned about it. So is this an example of what our founders talked about and said, this system is wholly unfit for a society that, that isn't ethical, moral, and, and religious? Sure. It's, it's one of countless ways in which our society can crumble if we lose common sense and if we lose a basic sense of decency, morality, respect for the dignity of the individual human soul so how do we get out of this uh mike because i think that the 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 vast majority of people you know i i i you know i i I keep thinking today of the niemoller poem of you know first they came for glenn beck and i didn't say anything so i wasn't glenn beck and i wasn't a fan then they came for bill o'reilly because you know he had accusers then they came for Ro- Roseanne Barr, but, you know, she said some really bad things. Then they came from, for Samantha B, and who knows? There's not going to be anybody left here. And it feels it's not the McCarthy era because the, the government isn't involved, but it is the era of blacklisting. It is the era of say one wrong thing that isn't politically incorrect or that isn't politically correct, and you're gone. So how do we... S- how do we navigate these waters? Well, first of all, not that this is any source of comfort to someone who is in the public eye, but people who are in the public eye are going to face a lot more scrutiny. Uh, Samantha B, Roseanne Barr, uh, they're both fairly prominent public figures. It's not just that they were employees doing their job and they went out and they said something. And it's also not the case that they went out and said something that was completely innocuous. Uh, or, or that any of us would, would ever even defend. These were pretty vile things to say. Mm-hmm. But I get your point. Uh, taken to an extreme, this could cause problems for a lot of people, and, and perhaps unfairly so. Separations of powers. You, you outline in your book a story of the Iroquois chief that taught Benjamin Franklin about the separations of power. Explain that. Okay. An Iroquois Indian chief by the name of Canasatego. He was from the Onondaga tribe. He and Benjamin Franklin met in Albany, New York, at a conference in 1744, and they became friends. When they started talking, Canasatego showed Benjamin Franklin 
uh, an arrow. He said, take this arrow, see if you can break it. He broke it easily. He said, now take five or six or seven arrows, bind them up together, and see if you can break those. And it was impossible for, for Franklin, then a young man, or, or, or any man of strength, to break those arrows bound together. He said, this is the strength of the Iroquois Confederacy. We can take these tribes, they come together, they agree that they will continue to govern themselves on a local level, on matters of local concern. But for purposes of our being a nation, for purposes of providing for our defense, we are one nation and we all act together. That's where our strength is found. This gave Franklin an idea, an idea that resulted many decades later in a system of government that fostered the development of the greatest civilization the world has ever known. The idea is federalism, this idea that we could come together as originally 13 separate states We could be one nation for certain limited purposes while continuing to allow ourselves to be governed locally on all other matters. It worked, and this flourished for more than a century and a half while we honored and respected it. This is the the so-called vertical protection of powers that we call federalism. But over the last 80 years, we've drifted away from federalism. And with that, we've also neglected the name of Canasatego. I I think if we brought back his name and brought back his story, it might also help us to bring back this concept of federalism, this idea that not every problem in our society needs to or should Mm -hmm. be resolved through the federal government. It's caused us a lot of heartache and a lot of national debt as we've gone down that tangent. And we need to bring back federalism. Senator Mike Lee, uh, the new book is written out of history, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. And uh, Mike, you have to come to our Rights and Responsibilities uh, pop-up museum here in a couple of weeks. It, it is all about that. Uh, and and really remembering that these rights belong to the people and not to the government and, and making sure that you know the the balance of power is right everywhere but we have another balance of power that is that is out of whack and that is the the balance of power between congress and the presidency now yeah one of the reasons we uh, we like you mike is that uh, you don't just write books about this stuff you actually try to do things about it uh you uh introduced the Ar- article one regulatory budget act and that's kind of what you know the separation of powers is sort of part of this right it's about congress taking back the power that the constitution gave it initially uh, and and when, and so much of it has been signed over to regulatory authorities and the executive branch. Can you kind of go through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Over time, we've seen the lawmaking power, the power to set policy that's enforceable through the overpowering force that is the federal government. That belongs to Congress. The very first clause of the first section of the first article of the Constitution says, all legislative powers here and granted shall be vested in the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. Such and a geek, he knows that off the top of his head. <laughs> go ahead. Well, who, who doesn't? <laughs> Nobody does, Mike, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, notwithstanding that language, which is pretty clear, that says if you want to make a law through the federal government, it's got to be through Congress. Over the last 80 years, Congress has gotten bored and tired of having to make all the law because we've made everything federal. So as we've made everything federal, we've said, okay, let's not make the law anymore. Let's delegate to some electric, uh, unelected, unaccountable executive branch bureaucrat the task of doing that. So what we do is we come up with laws that say we shall have clean air, and we hereby delegate to the EPA the power to decide what clean air is, what acceptable pollution limits are. And, by the way, the same people who are writing those laws will also – get to enforce those laws and interpret them on the way. Mm. And so you have a concentration of power in the same 
group of people the power to make and interpret and enforce laws. This is a big problem. It's one of the reasons I started this Article 1 project a couple of years ago, to start to identify areas in which we've excessively well, delegated one uh, of the, our, our, our lawmaking power. One of them is trade deals. I mean, we have tariffs now. That is not the president's uh, territory. That is clearly the territory of Congress. And, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody in Congress wants that. Yes, and this is a problem because the, the founding fathers understood that the power to set taxes, the power to levy tariffs and things like this, this had to be vested in Congress, not just because it's uh, uh, by nature of a law, the way it operates, but also because this is a pretty powerful, destructive force, and they wanted to make sure that this was vested only in the branch of government most accountable to the people at the most regular intervals. And so they did. Article 1, Section 8 makes this very, very clear. And yet, over the last 80 years, we've delegated away that power as it, well. It One is, of the reasons I introduced the Global Trade Accountability Act, which would require Congress to vote each time the president takes, or one of the executive branch bureaucrats takes one of these actions to start a trade war. Any, any support on this? Yes, I've got some support. I've got a, uh, a lot of people who come up to me and say, hey, I want to co-sponsor it. Nowhere near the kind of support I would need to get yet to get it passed. But we could be entering into some interesting times, Glenn. Uh, With what happened yesterday and with what happened a couple months earlier um, uh, on on the initial announcement of the Section 232 tariffs, we're going to start to see some retaliation by many of our allies, including Mm -hmm. our allies in the EU and Canada Mm -hmm. and Mexico, in response to these 232 tariffs, you know, on steel and aluminum, which are major manufacturing inputs. As that happens, this stuff is going to start to snowball, and we're going to start to see some impacts on our economy that are not altogether pleasant. Look, we have to remember, there are a number of people in this country who have jobs that involve making steel and aluminum. But for every job that involves that, there are 10, 20, 30, 40 times that number of jobs that are involved in making, processing, selling, distributing things that are themselves made with steel and aluminum here in America and that become more difficult to make and distribute here in America if we're restricting through the federal government where we can get the steel and aluminum from. That's going to end up hurting American consumers, especially America's poor middle class. That's going to cause a problem. Back with Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee. Um, The name of the book is Written Out of History, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. It is a great book and uh, a must-have on your shelf if you are somebody that wants to make sure that we preserve history and preserve uh, the Constitution and what it really means or meant when they originally uh, drew it up. Written Out of History by Mike Lee. We're back with Mike Lee, author of the uh, book Written Out of History. Uh, it's going into a paperback now. Uh, Senator Mike Lee is uh, with us now. Mike, we're, we're doing a museum here in a couple of weeks called Rights and Responsibilities, and I've really been doing a, a lot of research on uh, the Bill of Rights. And I contend that every single one of our problems as a people goes away if we would just respect the Bill of Rights and live by them without someone saying, yeah, I know, we all love that, but, and then going around the Constitution. It's, a, it's a, uh, an important document that almost, I mean, there was only one guy when they signed the Constitution that said, I'm not signing until there's a Bill of Rights. You want to tell that story? Yeah, sure. 
Elbridge Gary was unique in that there were seven men who signed the Declaration of Independence who were also delegates to the Constitutional Convention. And of those seven, he was the only one who refused to sign his name. Uh, the only one of the, uh, of the seven signers of the Declaration who, who attended the convention as delegates who refused to sign his name to the Constitution. Albert Gary uh, was a big advocate for the Bill of Rights, and he, he proposed it with about 12 days left in the convention. And um, at the time, the other delegates said, oh, no, we can't possibly do this. We're too far along in the convention process. We don't need to do this. There were some people who regarded it as kind of dangerous. I mean, Hamilton was against it because he believed the minute you started identifying certain rights as protected, that you would also identify other rights as unprotected, and that could cause problems. Uh, Madison, by many accounts, at least initially believed that uh, the structure put in place by the Constitution would itself be enough to protect them. Ultimately, Elbridge Gary, the delegate from Massachusetts, uh, won the case. Because even though the Constitution went through and was ratified without a Bill of Rights, one went through and, and, and was proposed by Congress, ratified by the states, in part because of the undying efforts of Elbridge Gary. And yet, he's another name uh, we tend not to focus on as much in our history books as we should. But his name is a lasting reminder of the fact that we as Americans believe that there are some things that are so important that government should never have the authority to do them. And among them is, you know, regulate what we say, what we print in our newspapers, where we go to church, whether we worship at all. And I was, I've, been, I've been reading the, um, the, the back and forth between the founders on the Bill of Rights, uh, and especially freedom of speech and, uh, and freedom of press. This whole fake news stuff is, um, is ridiculous, would have been ridiculous to them. They were defending people who were out and out lying in the press. Some of them were. Yeah, 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 exactly, which is why we can't get too caught up in the idea that the founding era was this utopia yeah. where everything went well, and therefore <laughs> they didn't even need to consider right. government intrusions where they shouldn't have been. No, they, people were just as flawed back then as they are now. Right. Sure, there are things about our culture that have been corrupted further since then, but... Mike, we got to go. With human nature. Thank you very much, Glenn Mike Lee. Beck. Written out of history. Mercury. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.